Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I am Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. My co-host Pellen is not here, so I'm going to be handling Succession Send-Off solo today. Speaking of, this is Succession Send-Off, our special series following on Succession's fourth and final season. Today, I will be talking about Episode 8, America Decides. So a little brief synopsis. On election night, tensions erupt as these siblings, and thus ATN, have to make a call that carries enormous personal, business, and political consequences. Yes, it is the big election night episode. I just have to start off with saying that was very difficult to watch. I mean, it was a great episode of television, but it is just so reminiscent of things that happen in real life. It's interesting. There are obviously a lot of real world parallels in 2020, I believe, when Fox News actually did have to make a call like the one that happened in this episode for Arizona. And ultimately, I believe that Fox News called Arizona correctly for Biden. Um, but it was a call that I think was still based on a lot of information that hadn't come in yet. It was what you might call preliminary or pending. But in that case, reportedly, Rupert Murdoch was the one to actually step in and be like, okay, no, we're calling it this way. So in a way, this episode is kind of like an alternate timeline. Like what if Rupert Murdoch or Logan Roy, in this case, this older guy, whatever veneer of sort of respectability or um, ethics in journalism you want to pretend these guys have, they clearly had a little bit more than Roman. Roman, wow, this is a great reminder of why we cannot keep treating Roman as like this little, ooh, sad boy. Like, I mean, he is for sure the most tenderhearted of the siblings in certain circumstances and, and scenarios. But also he is terrible. This is really a reminder of how just reprehensible he is sometimes, especially when it comes to politics and sort of larger ideas of ethics and morals. Like he is truly a creature of chaos and being against, um, you know, PC culture, what culture, cancel culture, whatever you want to call it. This is a great reminder that he is the sibling who basically dug up Meg and handed him to his father, Logan Roy, on a silver platter and paved the path for this guy to become actually legitimately a real contender in this presidential race that obviously carries enormous uh, ramifications, consequences, implications. So Roman was just, I mean, it was so frustrating to see him. So frustrating to see what Roman and Tom sort of in conjunction were doing to Shiv with all those shades of like misogyny and sexism and, you know, calling her like hysterical, referencing witches and burning witches in her presence. Like it was just a huge L for Shiv again, which I mean, she's been on a losing streak, it seems for the whole season as essentially since Tom backstabbed her in the end of the previous season And unfortunately, no signs of that abating. Shiv, I mean, she is the sensible liberal, the Democrat of this group. But with them, it's all, all of this comes with asterisks, right? They all come with qualifiers. She maybe is genuinely concerned for the future of the country, for the future of women, of minorities, um, just in general, like, 
what is to become of America with the election of a figure like Mencken, a Trump-like figure, um, DeSantis figure, like whatever, like him. But at the same time, you see the limits of that kind of worry and the limits of, I guess, if we have to be crude about it, that kind of um, corporate white feminism. She is concerned for everyone, sure, but she is also primarily concerned for herself. She has the business motivation to make sure the Democrats win. Even at the end, when she has this choice, right, like to think, okay, I can sacrifice my business, my strategic motivations and priorities. I can put them by the wayside and let me try to get a deal for the sake of what I believe is this country's future and the safety of people and just like in general, America. You see how she falters. She does not do that. She has that fake phone call. She is just not equipped yet to put aside her own personal uh, priorities for the sake of some larger good. And this is ultimately the problem with all three of these siblings, with the problem of all this executive class, the upper crust of the society in the US, the people who have the money and the power and the influence and the authority. Moving on to Kendall, like Kendall is the most obvious representation of the conflict between these two sides. He sits sort of in between Shiv and Roman, where he is, I guess you could say he's like socially liberal, probably he is uh, anti-homophobia, as we, as you remember, he is the ally of the century. And yet like these business dis- goals, these business decisions, these obviously come first in his mind. And you see him grappling with it throughout this episode, especially as they bring in his kids, Sophie. He has a vested interest in making sure that this doesn't happen to people who look like his kids, who look visibly brown, non-white. But also, even more importantly, he has a vested interest in keeping himself CEO of the company. And that wins out, ultimately. Like, there is that really fantastic scene where you can see Jeremy Strong grappling with this, and then something shifts. And you see Kendall declare that, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm not a very good father, after all. I think I'm a bad father. And that's when you know for sure, okay, the decision has been made. He's already sort of been laying back and letting these things happen, and putting up a little bit of a protest, but not actually doing anything to stop them. But you see in that moment, his resolve changes. Um, and you know, like, oh, shit, he's gonna go ahead and do the wrong thing. He's gonna make the call for Mencken. And that's a sort of resignation to it. Like the whole thing has been him sort of convincing himself that, first of all, uh, I, he doesn't really have the power to stop any of it, even though he literally does. And then convincing himself like, it's fine. I'm just going to have to accept I'm a bad father. I'm like dad in that way. When really it's, it's like this, this act of passivity where he could actually stand up and stop these things. He could actually make a different decision, but he instead the easier path is the path of least resistance where he lets it wash over him. And then finally, where he just agrees uh, with the tide that Roman is like pushing forward. So that is Ken. You see at the very end of the episode also, he has a moment in the car where he's, his last line is like, some people just can't cut fucking deal for crap or something like that. And that is just so indicative of where his head is at. He's convinced himself again, this is all for business. And business is the only real truth. It's like the one real thing I have in life. Above his kids, above his family, above any semblance of morals or ethics or wanting to carry ATN forward into like a brighter future. No, no, it's all about 
him in power and staying in power. And now Roman is posing a threat to him, which is interesting. Roman and Roman's very close relationship with Mencken. And speaking of that, Roman and Mencken, it's amazing how they have this just like insane chemistry every time they're in the room together. You see everything from like in the body language, the way that eyes may like flicker about to, you know, up, down, whatever. It's, it's a very palpable energy and just like friction in the air. And I don't know if they're ever going to address this or if it's just going to be sort of in the ether as, uh, this feeling, all the speculation about Roman, Roman bisexual king, Megan bisexual king, um, the two of them together, bisexual fascist kings. I don't know. Just have to comment. It's amazing what the two of them just feel like when they are together. I want to give a little shout out to Greggy for once again being the keeper of very important information. Like it's really funny, actually, the way that they've done this throughout the series by turning this low level stooge, uh, this outsider, into not just one of them, but one who is kind of the keeper of so many secrets. And he uses that to great effect. He knows sort of when to deploy, like Tom is trying to coach him, like a fine wine, you know, when to take it out and break it the fuck over someone's head. Greg is still learning sort of when to deploy this information, but he does have the key information at the key points. And you see it here again, of course, when he is scuttling off to answer Kendall on Shiv's big secret, Shiv's big betrayal. I also really like the scene where Greg and Jess are together. And this is a combination that we don't actually see very often at all, but it makes sense. They are two more or less assistants, more or less lackeys to these higher ups. You would think they they would have some camaraderie. They're a similar age. And we do see that here, actually. Like, they both display some kind of reluctance and trepidation around whether Greg should speedily deliver the the message to Tom to, to call it, or whether he should just, like, dilly-daddle a little bit, like, just stall a tiny bit. And maybe that extra five minutes of stalling could actually hugely impact how this election is called and the future of this country. I thought that was great. Jess is, is kind of a cypher figure. I think she has a lot of fans because she does have great moments like in the background, whether it's making these facial expressions or just like the tone of her voice when she repeats like these absolutely like absurd requests that Kendall has of her. But we really don't know much about her as a person, her as a character, where her politics lie, where her morals or ethics lie. Although you can guess like it's probably a pretty gray area if she is working for the Roy's like this. Both of them are ultimately also just like giving in as well, letting it wash over them where they're like, this this sucks, but like, what can you do? What can you do? Ultimately, they both kind of wash their hands of it. They don't resign. They don't quit. They don't stage a protest or even just like stall that extra five minutes. They don't. And this is emblematic of what this place does to you, right? It swallows you in and it makes you part of it. It subsumes you. And that is clearly what's happened to Greg. Um, there's the sign that this has happened to Jess in a sense as well. Great scene. I thought it was amazing. And I want to circle back to Tom and Shiv and how much pain their ongoing fight and love and breakup keep causing them. We get the finally the big bombshell of Shiv's pregnancy delivered to Tom in this episode. And it's actually done without that much fanfare. Like in the middle of another fight, it's not deployed where maybe we would have expected it to like in last week's just like huge eruption of a fight here. It's in sort of like a side thing, like they're side channeling in the hallway. 
you know, Shiv's trying to apologize before it blows up into again a little another little tense personal argument and she drops this and have to say tom's reaction is just one of the most hurtful things that could have happened where he doesn't even believe it or he doesn't know how to believe because all the back and forth like has led both of them to mistrust each other to the point where something of this nature this serious nature this hugely consequential nature that can't even be believed. And Tom can't believe a single word out of Shiv's mouth. It's really just like so fucking hurtful, I think, when he asks her, like, is this real? Like, or is this is this a new position? Is this a tactic? And it goes along with the the whole thing about Shiv being a mother and the hurt and the trauma she carries around that. And the the this thing that Tom keeps resurfacing, whether inadvertently or not, where he's questions could she even ever be a mother? And that's the same thing that Shiv herself has been questioning the whole time. And what her mother has been questioning to her, this source of like pain and constant thorn in her heart. And again, this, this reaction of Tom's where he just even has to second guess her, whether he believes her or not. um, That's just another reminder, right? A punch to the gut. Very painful, very hard to watch. Great continuation of the Tom Shiv stuff. As, as hard as it is to watch, it's it's truly compelling to see this dynamic between these two characters. All right, I think that about covers everything I want to get into for main discussion, so I'm going to zigzag over to recurring bits. Daddy's Best Boy, aka MVP of the Week. I'm going to give Daddy's Best Boy to Rava. You know, she's a mother, she's an ex-wife, she is trying to figure a way through this. I think the whole thing with Kendall and his children is that's really interesting how his very visibly sort of Indian brown looking children uh, differ from Kendall, his white boy ass. I think Rava is in a difficult position. Obviously she married the guy to begin with. So I don't know. You got to question a little bit her judgment to begin with, but also she's in a very difficult position. I think she is in position of firmly trying to be there for her kids. I admire, I get it what she's trying to do at the end when she basically is like, not going to let Ken swing over and disrupt the sleep of the kids whose safety, lives, whatever might be impacted by this whole thing. So, you know, shout out to Rava for just trying to keep it together in a very difficult position. All right, moving on to the disgusting boy of the week. Kind of an obvious one, but Roman, truly, Roman was just odious. And that is true to who he is. I mean, this, this different side of Roman, the side that most people are familiar with, because he's really only his more tender-hearted self when he's with his family, with his dad especially, and sometimes his siblings. Finally, Succession Watch. This is our watch of who, based on any given episode, is looking likely to ascend to the throne, ultimately. I think it's still looking like Kendall, currently. Again, in the direction of Kendall being at the top, doing whatever he needs to do to secure his position, and then trying to elbow out his siblings. He's already basically elbowed out Shiv at this point. I don't really see her making a comeback, even with Matson. And now he sees Roman as a growing threat. So he's going to have to figure out a way to get Roman out as well and be the solo leader as he has always dreamt of. Now, more than ever, increasingly, we see he is ready to sacrifice everything for that, including his own kids, his own family, any sort of loose, vague idea of morals and ethics and concern for the country and democracy as a whole or whatever, as he 
is supposed to care about. None of that fucking matters. It's all about making the deal. We will see what future episodes bring. This has been Succession Sendoff, and tune in next week because it will be both of us back, I promise, and it won't be she listening to me rambling solo for 20 minutes straight. I'm very sorry about that. Hope you enjoyed anyway. See you later. Bye.